Hello and welcome to the Stripping the Dipping podcast. You're joined by your usual co-host, AMG Dens, aka VMDM, the modern day Morgan Freeman. And what can I say, you know, it's been quite a while since I've done one of these, um, you know, like pre-recorded podcasts. So I'm going to try and get my way back into it. But in light of that and in vain of that, we've got a really awesome guest. He was very popular in one of the earlier episodes we did earlier on in the year. So it's always amazing to have an individual like him with his knowledge, his intel, his credentials back on this podcast always. He's a race engineer. He's a sim racing engineer. He's also the director and extraordinaire of a cup of racing limited. Without any further ado, guys, I'd like you to give a warm welcome to a returning guest on our show. That would be Davide Delosis. Davide, how have you been, my friend? All good, all good. It's nice to be back here. Thank you. Oh, well, we're more than happy to have you, man. And like we even said in the uh, original episode we did, did with you, you know, there's so much that we took away from that. Um, a lot of our kind of following and fan base, they're into sim racing. And, you know, we always get from like the driver's perspective. But then when it comes to actually the the kind of perspective of like the, the race engineer in a sim racing context, it's really cool. And then on top of that, for all the kind of year as well, we've been trying to touch different motorsport disciplines, such as, you know, the GTE, the GT3, um, like, you know, the, the Le Mans and the World Endurance uh, series as well. So you were amazing for that. And also we we had like a spicy kind of conversation about Ferrari, which I guess we're going to make a, a, a kind of like a, a, like a return to or a circle to later on. But before we do that, Davide, just like on a general note, how has everything been? You know, could you give us a brief insight into what you've been getting up to in the world of motorsport since the last time we spoke? Yeah, I mean, of course, it's December, so season is finished, but it's been a busy month after, I think it was July or August uh, last time we spoke. Uh, so we basically uh, won the championship, the WEC championship for the GDEIM uh, class. So very happy about that. It was the actually end of a perfect season, almost perfect season uh, from us. So can't be more happy than that for, for sure. And in terms of European Le Mans series, I had other three rounds, I think, at the time, and one testing. So all went well, apart from the last round when we got it like 10 minutes before the end. It was very painful for us because for a four-hour race, I mean, it's not 24-hour, but you, when you, you just finish your race 10 minutes before the end, it's always painful, you know, it's endurance racing at the end. So you put a lot of effort, drivers put a lot of effort, mechanics put a lot of effort, and then at the end, you just finish with nothing because of a crash. So it was not our fault, but it is what it is. And that's about motorsport, I would say. Uh, for the rest, I've been uh, involved uh, again with sim racing. Uh, we started Le Mans Virtual Series uh, with William Seasport. Uh, we're doing quite good so far. Uh, still in the fight for the championship. Difficult for us to win. Uh, we did a podium, a very good podium on the wet in Monza a couple of months ago. And now we just started basically tomorrow the, the preparation for Le Mans 24 virtual that will be mid-January. So still busy, a bit less, but a lot going on as always. 
Oh, that sounds amazing, Davide. And like you mentioned there too, there's there's like a plethora of so much motorsport and racing happening at the same time as well. And also, as you mentioned there too, you have the the highs of obviously winning a championship, which we'll, which we'll discuss later on in the show. But also, like you mentioned too, that at times through something that can be so unexpected, you know, um, your fortune can also change as well. And sometimes even when you execute excellent strategy, something can still happen on track and that all unfolds too. So I can definitely relate to that. And kind of in a segue to the first big topic then, Davide, that almost kind of, if you ask somebody to describe Ferrari season in a way, I think a lot of people might draw similar kind of comparisons because um, in what was kind of a shocking revelation last week, uh, Mattia Bonotto, the team principal Ferrari, steps away. Um, when we talked earlier in the year, we talked about, you know, Ferrari being the team that have the right tools in terms of the car, which performed excellently during the preseason test and in the first half of the season. And obviously two drivers as well, which are very capable, although they make mistakes. But at times, you know, maybe their approach in terms of management, personnel, strategy, not being as sharp as it could be. And then towards the second half of the season, after the summer break, that pressure seemed to surmount Ferrari even more in, in the, the fact that they weren't able to to give Red Bull that challenge right to the end of uh, the season and sustain that pressure on them. You know, people have criticized them as well for not being as aggressive as or as aggressive as they could be with, um, you know, pushing the development of their car in light of the cost cap compared to other rivals, which has been quite a big story too. So, kind of to throw the ball into your court, Davide, like, what was your initial reaction, you know, to the kind of speculation and rumors that we saw, like, leading up to Matteo uh, putting in his resignation? And the kind of bigger question from your perspective, did Ferrari under-deliver, considering that they came into the season with the tools to surmount a championship fight? Or... Is it unfair considering they had had so many drawbacks in previous years and this was the first year where actually they seemed to go back to their winning ways? You know, they still finished above Mercedes, which have been the most dominant team, you know, in the recent kind of like motorsport world. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, let's say that I I think the engineering side of Mattia Binotto is good. I think he's a very good engineer and everything. Thing is, uh, as I said at the time, he's not a manager. He's not probably capable to manage people. So, if you think in the past, uh, team principal in Ferrari left for much, much less than what he done so far. Uh, let's say, uh, for example, Arriva Bene. Arriva Bene finished after two seasons when he almost won the championship two times with Vettel, and he got fired. Uh, in the last uh, four years, five years, uh, Binotto did much worse than that, and uh, it was still there. So don't get me wrong, but I think it was almost time for him to resign or to get fired because I, I'm not sure he's gonna he's wanted to be really on a resignation. It was much much more like he got fired, but they wanted to tell him. To, to people because if you remember at the beginning a month ago it was speculation about uh, ferrari let him leave then uh, was another speculation about uh, he resigning at the end of the story he resigns but i think it was it wasn't really a resignation you know it was a way to say okay you go let we we say that you resign so everybody save the face and it's fine like that but i don't think ferrari solved the problem just fire him or let him leave 
because there, as I said already, there, there are basically issues there that was about the development of the car, it was about strategy, it was about general management. The main issue of all these is was that Pinotto had too much power, too much roles all in one person and teasing the modern Formula One doesn't work. It didn't work in, nine, in the 90s. Ferrari had four people managing the four aspects of the team, if you remember. How this year, that is much more complicated as a car, as a strategy, a lot of more competition in compared with the 90s, could work an idea about one person doing everything, you know. So I think the problem will be still there if they don't find a way to structure better the team. And yeah, about uh, underperforming, I completely agree. Uh, I mean, they should win the championship this year because at the beginning of the year, I think they had the best car, they had the best drivers, or one of the best drivers at least. Uh, they just lose a championship that was easy to win. I mean, not easy, but for sure with high probability to win. Yeah, I think that was a fair and, and, and almost like honest review there too, Davide, in relation to how they performed, also insight as well as, you know, um, Matteo as like an individual. And I'm sure to work with him would be amazing. But then if you're talking about running like a multi-billion conglomerate, like Ferrari, I would say almost, it's not even a company, it's a religion to a lot of people. Yeah, but, exactly. <laughs> It's a huge kind of like shoes to step in. And we'll come back to some of those other points you mentioned as well, though, Davide, because I think you raised some really great points. But on the topic of like replacements for him, a lot of people have been throwing the hat in the ring for one Frederick Vasseur, which is the team principal currently at Alfa Romeo, which also has quite a nice kind of relationship with Ferrari in terms of the technical side of things. Also, people have been quite, um, you know, keen to kind of link Frederick Vasseur because of his relationship with Charles Leclerc. We know that obviously Ferrari hold Charles as like the golden egg because they've given him like one of the longest long-term contracts like I think a Ferrari driver's ever had because of the promise and because of the potential he showed in his earlier career. And then linking it back to Frederick, um, that was Charles Leclerc's manager in F2. He also was Charles's like uh, manager and team boss during go-karting days as well. So, considering that at times what would have helped Ferrari is to have a clear lead number one driver and number two driver, a bit like what Red Bull have, could you see an individual like Frederick Vasseur coming in? And as you mentioned too, I get you kind of partially answered this, but to look, look into it a bit more deeper, would a more experienced, more kind of like calculated, colder manager like him, uh, you know, not kind of... Um, like replicate some of the disappointments that maybe happened under Bonotto's watch? Yeah, uh, it's a tricky question, this one, because I think in terms of the relationship with Leclerc, uh, Vasseur did a great job in Sauber, in Formula 2 and everything. So I think also the name uh, of Vasseur comes out because Leclerc would be keen to have it. And for sure now is the kind of reference point with Binotto leaving, because he's the one that should deliver much more than what he delivered this year as well. But he's also have more experience this year than what he had one year ago, and he's continually improving all the time. So I think Vassour could be a very good choice in terms of uh, having a relation with Leclerc and structure the team to let Leclerc have the performance he needs to deliver and the confidence as well. From the other side, he's not very experienced in Formula One, so it could be 
a difficult, let's say, way to start, because I think he is in Formula One since 2017 only. So going in a top team like Ferrari, when everybody has more than a lot of expectations on him and on the team as well, and will be the main team manager, will be very difficult for him. So with the situation that's going on in Ferrari at the moment, with not clear rules assigned, it won't be a very easy job for him to to manage stuff. But at this point, I, I don't see really any other candidates that could be better than him, because affirmed like team manager or team principal like Christian Horner would be great, but they won't go at all. It's too risky and they are in a very good position with, I think, much, much more money to earn than, uh, than Ferrari can offer at the moment. So if you find someone within the team, you may risk to have another Binotto situation. So you find a way from the team. And if you find a way from the team, Vassour is the only one actually available and that know Leclerc well and could deliver something. So it's not easy. I, I won't be in his uh, situation because it's difficult to be the team principal of Ferrari more than any other team, especially now. And without his experience, that's that will be a very difficult job at the beginning. That doesn't mean that he can't, he can't be a good team principal. We don't know, actually. Yep, I, I agree with that too. And again, just kind of in relation to that, one of the things I think that was really good about, um, you know, going back to Benotto was just his his nature. And, you know, he almost had that thing of not blaming anybody, not pointing the fingers. So to flip it on its head almost, to, and to ask you this honest question as well, Davide, do you think that there's still too much politics at Ferrari? Because as you alluded to earlier as well, in one of the great responses that you, you gave us, like there's always seemed to be like a revolving door culture at Ferrari. And you mentioned it under the Leva Benny era as well, when Seb was there. Stefano Domenicali also seemed like he was quite stressed out and seems a lot more happier now that he's the FIA, you know, yeah. like uh, CEO. Um, obviously, in terms of Ferrari's like like management structure and ownership structure. You've got really big figureheads like uh, Louis Camilleri, Sergio Marchioni, which passed away untimely. Now you've got John Elkan as well, which he's a bit more younger than the typical Ferrari CEO, but still, I don't really see him smile too often, which you know tells me that yeah. he's a really serious guy. And even just other things as well, like we talked about how much weight Leclerc actually has at Ferrari. I remembered the other day that like Leclerc's manager is actually John Todd's son. And John Todd was the team principal of Ferrari at one stage. So yeah, there seems to be a lot of kind of like politics at Ferrari. And then it seems almost in a way that what they did to Bonotto or their lack of like protecting him or kind of like, you know, giving him the extra time, undermine that period of stability that Benotto was trying to build in, you know, in that culture that resembles the kind of Schumacher area where we saw Michael, technical directors like Ross Braun, team principals like John Todd, you know, like um, de designers yeah. like Rory Byrne. What's your kind of take on this, the, the culture of like, you know, an Italian team like that? And, and also, you know, do you think it works or not? Because in other sports, like in football, we see Chelsea make, you know, really harsh decisions. And if a manager doesn't win the league, he doesn't win a trophy, they're gone. You know, they, they don't get too much time. Yeah. I mean, I agree with some politics. I think Ferrari is too much political now. That's the reason why Binotto had the power to 
have all those roles. I mean, let, let be, let's be honest, uh, it's, it's too much for a single person to be in four different roles and decide it's basically everything in a Formula One team. It doesn't matter if it's Ferrari or if it's another one. It's like Red Bull. Red has Chris Horner, has Adrian Newey, has Helmut Marko. Everybody had a clear role and you see by yourself the result of the last 10 years. They always be there. They always fight for something. Even if the driver is not delivering, they finish P3 in the championship. So that's a team that works. So I agree with some politics. If the politics is good enough to create the winning stability you need to win. So you mentioned about Schumacher era. Okay, yeah, they have stability, but if you remember, Schumacher went into Ferrari in 1996 and did a very kind of good race sometimes. The team was good, it was working everything fine, and then the car wasn't so good. So he had the reliability issue and they retired the car so much time. But then in 97, he fought for the championship. In 98, he fought for the championship. In 99, apart from the accident, he fought for the championship. And then in 2000, everybody remembers what happened next. So that's a stability you want to have for four years. If you see something, you can actually say, okay, that's the right way. That's the right direction. We are trying to win something because we are so close to win something that at a certain point it will be coming. And that's not happening with Binotto at all. I mean, we, we're missing a like, kind of good season so far since 14 years. If you remove uh, the Arrivabini periods from the equation. And Binotto didn't do anything better than him because this year they could win the championship, but at the end of the story, they did a mistake exactly like Arrivabini did and they, did, they didn't win anything. It's even worse if you think about it because at the beginning of the season, Ferrari was much, much more faster than now and uh, was actually fighting with Red Bull easily when Mercedes was nowhere. At the end of the season, Mercedes was fighting for P2 in the championship, in the construction championship. And Ferrari was far away from Red Bull. So that means not only that Ferrari didn't develop the car and the team properly and did a mistake, but that Red Bull and Mercedes improved so much that actually put a risk the P2 in the championship. And that's something that the politics can't fix at all. You need people. You need the proper people in the proper position. Uh, you mentioned that the like example of football. In football, you can have 11 players, for me, that are the best 11 players in the world and still losing because you don't need the best players. You need the best play, players for that positions. You need to create a team. Then you are allowed to speak about stability and win something, I think. And that's not going to happen now in Ferrari at the moment. They need to f structure better first with the proper people in the proper places. So if let's say that Vassour is going to be team principal, he can't be the technical director. I would say a good technical director for Ferrari uh, could be Simone Resta. It should be, for me, from my side, from my opinion, should be Simone Resta since five years ago. And they never give him the chance to be the technical director. So it, it's something that they need structure. Politics is good as soon as you ensure that the politics works with the team and deliver the performance. Otherwise, it's just uh, creating stability and putting wrong people in wrong places. And this is not going to end up in any victories or, or good thing, I think. 
That's true. And, and again, Dabadi, I think a really good and, and balanced kind of response there too in how in a team that's successful, you need like the dynamics of both of those things to come into play. But more importantly than ever is the competency, you know, and somebody that knows what to do, you know, and, and also is not going to allow people to become stagnant or in, in also like what you mentioned there too, like a diversification of the responsibilities and not having so many roles assigned to one person. And the kind of final Ferrari question, because I'm conscious of making this Ferrari podcast, which is the most <laughs> AMG guys. They're going to be like, what the hell is happening here? That, that, that's strange, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But the kind of final question, just on a human level there, David, is do you feel sorry for Bonotto? Because... Although a lot of people blame him, even actually for the engine controversy Ferrari actually had back in 2019, um, there's still some people that feel that he wasn't given enough time. And that, in a way, it's significant to have somebody like him at Ferrari because, like, for most people and how like high and fast-paced formula one is these days people just like try and pinch whoever they can from whatever team is around whereas with monotto there's like actually pictures on google of him from when he was like a uh, like a university graduate wearing the baggy kind of like ferrari kind of like jackets when he was much younger probably even younger than i am now you know and like he's kind of like an example of somebody that's come into a industry as like a young person and grown with one company and like you know progressed his career as he's got older and got more senior with this one company his entire life so you know i mean do, do you feel sorry for him or do you think that you know he had an opportunity and at the end of the day as well you know like he's done good things for ferrari so whilst you know he's kind of going out kind of like not necessarily you know on the highest note or how you would dream to have gone you know like um you'll still be remembered for the moments that he he did do well with ferrari and and ultimately the foundations that they have now because they still have like on a Saturday, one of the fastest cars. It's just, you know, maybe they could have been more aggressive with the development. Maybe next year, maybe they've already been moving resources towards next year. You know, also, <coughs> are they going to be looking at, you know, the technical team? And, and you mentioned there, uh, Simone De Resta. He's like, I think the guy at, um, he's an engineer at Haas at the moment, but he's worked with Ferrari. So there's guys kind of within the Ferrari family that could be, you know, moved about in a way to to help them push and take the next step towards either Red Bull or Mercedes. Yeah, I mean, from the personal level, I think everybody can feel sorry for him because he spent uh, 28 years in the same company and he was there with Schumacher. He was, the I think, the vehicle engineer, something like that. So for sure, he did a lot of work for the same company, a lot of trust. Uh, it's correct to give him. You, you can't say, you know, it was so bad that they fire him or he resigned or whatever it is. But as a team principal, no. And that's just because, as I said, you need the best people in, the, in, the, in their positions. And he's not a team manager. He's an engineer. I think he's a very good engineer. And if you see all the technical director cars he did, they were great. 2017, 2018, 2019, it was very good car. He was the technical director. Same for Ran for now. He, recover, he covered the, the technical director roles, and the car wasn't so bad. So you can't blame him as an engineer. You can't blame him as a person. I think you can blame him as a team principal, and that's it. So he deserved to be fired 
as a team principal, it doesn't deserve to be fired as a person that uh, put all the engineering skills and capability for 28 years into the same company. So it's again a 50-50. That, that's fair, Damadeen. Like, like I mentioned as well, you know, I mean, um, it, it's an interesting one because like you see people on, on Twitter and all these social media apps, you know, very opinionated, <laughs> I think either side. But it's it's intriguing, you know, to just see in like a team like that where Ferrari are the most iconic brand, you know, they have the biggest legacy in Formula One. Like every everybody, you know, when when at least even when I was a kid, like, you know, you always in school, rather than paying attention to the mass teacher during red cars, you know, that's probably why I didn't become a race engineer, to be fair. But you know, it's it's interesting, you know, to see how that plays out from like the technical side. But then also, even just from a personal level, how sometimes like somebody's strengths are great for one thing, but not necessarily great for everything. So that's so true. And to kind of segue to a new topic then, Davide, because we've spent a nice time on that one. You know, let's talk about the virtual Le Mans series. So, you know, like in the previous episode we did, we talked a lot about, you know, sim racing, how much it's evolved, how like, you know, like, many people are becoming like even more in tune with it because of all of the special esports events there's now like an official f1 esports event there's obviously as well this fia virtual le mans series which has a lot of prominent drivers in it max verstappen takes part in it yeah. from time to time roman grosjean takes part in it raffaello marcello one of my favorite drivers he's in there too you know so this week uh that just went past was the Siebling 500 uh race uh, I think it was P3 for the Mercedes AMG esports team and then P8 for the Williams esports team. How would you describe this this particular weekend, Davide, in terms of how the race played out? And, and also with a track like Sebring too, you know, just for our viewers at home as well and some of them that don't know about Sebring. You know, American circuit, very bumpy. It's uh, quite popular though in, in like IMSA and other kind of like uh, spec series too for multi-class racing, but there are lots of bumps and it's a very technical circuit. So it's not one that ever suited my driving style to be fair in yeah. the sim, but you know, how, how, how does it like, how did it go from your perspective? And also how does one go about like, you know, making the setup when it comes to the suspension geometry and, and aspects of this too? Yeah, uh, first of all, I need to tell you, uh, we were three cars about Williams and Mercedes. That's not always clear, so I can understand. So the P3 car, the number 63, that's completely managed from Mercedes. So it wasn't one of my cars. Okay. Uh, I've got the 53 Williams Mercedes team that finished P, I don't remember because we got it at a certain point. So not very good P8, I think. And then we've got the Williams Seasport that finished P5. Okay. So I was on both car, P5 and P50, and um, P8. So car 5 and car 53 for Williams and Mercedes. Uh, so that's basically that. So in terms of what I think about the race, uh, I think with the Williams car, the number 5, uh, LMP2, was a great race because that's the crew is new. They work together since this year. So we needed to built from scratch everything. Some of them didn't have much experience with the car. So from the beginning of the year, of the season in Bahrain, until now that we are almost at the end, it was a proportional grow, race by race, with a lot of issue in terms of disconnection hardware that didn't actually show up until now what they could do as a team. 
finally in Sebring they have a kind of clean race in respect with the rest and they finish P5. So that's that's what we can do with that car, even if they are very young and, and unexpert with the car. Uh, so I'm very happy for them, very pleasant about the recovery from P9 uh, after quali to P5 in the race. Good pace, good fuel saving, despite some small issue all around that we need to fix it. But they are improving because even considering the issues with they've got, they started in Bahrain and they finished P11. Then they had uh, a P9 in Monza with some issue with the hardware again. Uh, P7, I mean, potential P7 in Spa, because they've got a froze screen and they finished last for that reason, but they were potential P7, and now P5 finally without any mistakes, so they always see a grow in in their performance, always improving and very happy and pleasant about working with them. For Car 53, that is actually the one we are fighting for the championship, almost, because now it's tricky for us. We've got a very bad lag at the beginning of the season. Uh, we've got a mass disconnection of 10 cars, and we our car, we were both in that 10 cars, so we lost an amount of points, and even if we recover until P7 in the first race of the season, it could have been a podium, so the difference in points was big. Then we start to recover. It was a good rate in Monza. We finished on the podium, P2. Uh, in Spa, we did what we could without full Corsiello, any strategy options for a full green race. We managed to recover some position from a bad quali, and we finished top five. We could have been in, on the podium, I think, uh, in this race, because we were fighting for P4 when the other Mercedes car, the 63-1, it has. They didn't get the penalty I think they deserved. We got a warning and we finished P10. Then we got Marcello in the car that hasn't so much confident for some issue we are doing in preparation with him. He didn't have so much time to prepare. So we ended up with him to be fast, but not consistent and this pun. So we managed to finish in some way P8, but wasn't really a good race for us. I'm sorry because the performance was there. The preparation was good. The driver put every effort they could. So it, it's some a shame when something like this happens. But it's motorsport again. You can do nothing about it. So full focus on Le Mans with them because we need to recover points. We would like to win Le Mans because this year will be perfect for me. I won the real one. So I won the virtual as well. And uh, now we've got also more junior engineers on board with me, so they can help a lot uh, during in-race support and preparation. I'm not alone anymore with two cars and six drivers. So it's always good, you know. In terms of uh, the track, Sebring, I, I don't like it. I, I have to be honest, because, <laughs> I mean, bumps are very spectacular and good because... I mean, it's a different circuit, so from the sporting side, it's perfect. But I, I'm telling you, you need to be as soft as possible in the track, but you don't, you can't, because if you are too soft, you are good on bumps, but you are very bad in everything else. So you need to deal with the bumps, and sometimes that gets tricky for the drivers. It's a track, a very technical track. You need to be almost perfect every corner to have a consistent pace. So I don't like overall, not because it's not... It, the technicality of the track, because I love technical tracks, but because it's like even more difficult just because it's not a real track. It was an old airport. And I think 
they won't do anything about that because it's like the peculiarity of the circuit to have these bumps. If you remember at the beginning of the year in March when WEC was in Sebring for the first round of the championship, uh, there was the hashtag respect the bumps there. So you need to deal with that and you need to prepare a car that is fast enough, stiff enough to be with a good performance in Sebring but not too much for the bumps because otherwise you that you get no grip and you can have very bad moments uh, on the car and ruin everything. So th- that's why I don't like it because it's a good track, it's difficult, but it's a lot affected from the peculiarity of the circuit. There are other technical race track like Spa that I prefer much more because there you need to have a good car, a good balance between aero performance, uh, mechanical performance and full speed, top speed. But at the same time, you don't have any, let's say, tarmac issue like bumps or high curves that actually give you problems. So you can focus on the performance of the driver of the car and do your best to win. That should be the only way to win, you know. Yeah, and I think that's like it echoes a lot of the thoughts I always have as well, Davide. Like racing at circuits like that too, and I agree with you. Even with like Spa, it's such an awesome circuit. And even when I was watching like you know the the full twenty four hours of Spa this year, just to see how like you know the Aston Martin was strong at certain parts, but then you know Raffaello Marcello, Jules Gunon, those GT three guys, and like the the real kind of GT three racing. Um, the AMG suit certain parts too, but then also like the characteristics of the car, you know, you could see which one was using less kind of like downforce and had more speed through Eau Rouge and through the Kemmel straight. And then you could see who's running more downforce in the second and third sector too, where it's more kind of reliant. And then that translates even a lot more into the sim too, because a conventional circuit like that, which is purpose built, you know, you, you can practically, like you said, just go and just like build the car and get a nice balance of both. But with like a old airport, as you described it, with um, Sebring, it's like you're trying to get the performance, but at the same time, you have to have a compromise in there to make the car even drivable. Because for even, let's say, like a six-hour race, you know, it's a long time for a driver to be driving the car on the edge. And obviously, the more consistent the driver can be, ultimately, the faster their race time and, you know, everything will be at the end as well. So that, that's really interesting and, and a great insight from that perspective, too. Another thing I kind of wanted to bring in as well, Davide, because you, you talked about, like, the workload of managing practically two Williams Esports team, which is crazy. Like, it's it to even me, yeah. that is, like, it's, it's a lot to kind of take in and a lot of data to process, you know, a lot to keep an eye on. It was it was funny at the beginning because the, I actually had a meeting, I remember at the beginning of at the end of August, uh, to aside the championship for the rest of the year. And one of the management guy told me like uh, you are assigned to Le Mans Virtual Series is one of the best the most important championship for us, so we need to do a good job. And I asked, Okay, me and and he said, and you. I was okay, right. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> no stress. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, at the end of the story, we manage in some way and we're still improving all the time the procedure and, and the driver seems happy. So the results is actually not bad. We had a lot of bad luck so far, but the car was always good. Strategy was always good. The driver did a very good job every time. So 
can't really complain too much about that. It was an experience at the beginning, <laughs> if you know what I mean. <laughs> no, for sure, for sure. And just in relation to that as well, Davide, you know, like, like how has that kind of process been too, you know, in terms of taking somebody else on and training them to kind of, you know, look for certain things during the race and kind of delegating that responsibility too, you know, and, and kind of as a segue question to that as well, you know, is your preparation for the virtual Le Mans any different? Because I guess maybe with the advantage that you guys have with sim racing is that there might be a server, which, you know, the drivers and teams can have a look at. And I, I don't know if they like give you the conditions or, or like in our factor as well. Is the like dynamic kind of like weather? So obviously, when you're in the night, the tire wear is not so high because obviously the temperatures are a lot cooler. But then throughout the day, you know, perhaps there's rain, perhaps also there's a lot of heat as well. How does that also play into it? And how do you go for preparing for for such a kind of like one legendary, but also very important kind of like spec event like that too? Yeah, I mean, I can't give you too much details for obvious reasons, but uh, I can say procedure are more or less the same. Uh, you prepare the real world one. The only thing you've got more, and it's make easy your job to do, is the time. Because you can, if you want, you can simulate a 24-hour race and decide about compounds and decide about the car and decide about the strategy. So you have much more data and the infinite time to play with the data you've got. So the preparation is much easier because you just need to go there, test, have the data, and understand the data, and you can test again and again and again and again. And that's good for driver confidence, and it's good for the car setup, and that's good for the strategy options. And the same to decide uh, uh, compound, test uh, rain compared with dry or whatever temperature you've got in the track. So just give you more flexibility. So if you use well the time, you will be very prepared for the 24 hour in January because we've got more than a month today to, to actually prepare for 24 hour race. So it's just a matter to use properly the time and apply the procedure you already use and you know that works in real world with much more tools, time and possibilities than doing a week after, a week before the, the 24 hour race in the real world, you know, it's just about that. That's interesting. It's nice to see almost the symmetry, you know, between the real life and also even in the simulator. And the approach is fundamentally the same, although like you mentioned, there's more kind of time. There's also more data. And at least for the drivers taking part as well, the, there's almost like a uh, strategy and different things they can mess around with as well in terms of like the, the tire compound, you know, how that also will fluctuate and how a tire will behave, you know, whether or not you could like only do a, a single stint or whether you could do a double stint because like even for us just like in the kind of lesser kind of iRacing world the other day, like me and my teammate, we had like a six hour race and the kind of benefit for us is, is that it was at night. So we were like, oh, okay, let's see if we can kind of do one stint on these tires. And then when we came into the pits and we saw the tire tread, we we're like, wow, we're only like losing like maybe nine, 10% tread or, or like each time we come in. So we ended up like actually quadruple stinting. David. Yeah. I was like, you know, that's really cool. But like, obviously going back to, you know, the the, um, the, the virtual amounts, like it, it's so awesome as well as to see how all different factors come into play and even driving styles will influence that strategy too. 
yeah, exactly. I mean, I understand perfectly the quadruple stint because it happened. 2000, I think it was 2021, beginning of 2021, I did with another team, a small team, uh, 24-hour Daytona, and we were the only one that actually tested the longer stint on the same tire, and we ended up to do four stints on the same tire, and no one did it. So we were leading the, the, the race easily. Then we crash, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> that's always the case. It's always yeah. the case. I know that one. I, I, I really, as soon as you mentioned that, I had PTSD as well, because that happens to us all the time as well. We're like, we'll be leading a race, and then an LMP2 will come and dive bomb us. So, you know, like, it's always something. But, like, we're also, I guess, discussing the real-life side of things, and we go into the next one. It happens, you know? So it's something you always have to be kind of on your P's and Q's about, and always like adapting the strategy to figure out what is the fastest way to get to the finishing line or in terms of like endurance racing how do you complete the most laps you know in in like the the time that's allotted so that's interesting and it's the final question just on the esports side of things as well Davide. you know we mentioned the likes of you know full-time racing drivers such as Verstappen and Grosjean even Marshello, which is cool as well because like he's just he's one of my like favorite drivers he's too funny on social media with the stuff he, yeah. he posts and it's also difficult because I'm Italian he's Italian so sometimes when you speak on Discord for the William group it's naturally becoming Italian and <laughs> you can't because no one else will understand so you are finishing there to speak English with with another Italian is very strange sometimes but yeah anyway <laughs> <laughs> no but again and that's an interesting dynamic as well that plays out but the kind of question was I was going to ask everybody is like you know like uh, What's your observations, you know, when it comes to, like, real-life racing drivers jumping into sims and, and taking part in these, like, you know, competitions? And then actually, you know, like, maybe not me, because just, like, I think I'm too slow and too old, or I'm 27. <laughs> but, you know, the real kind of, like, you know, the, the David Tenitzas, you know, the, you know, the um the Yana Upmers, you know, like, the, um, oh, what's his name, James Baldwin's of, of this world, like, how did their approaches, you know, like, um, how are they similar and how are they different? And, like, you know, you don't have to name names, but who do you find easier to work with, considering you also work in the real world with, like, obviously real racing drivers too? Is it easier to kind of communicate and train with, you know, eSport drivers or that don't really have any reference of how a car might behave in real life? Or, or is it easier actually with like real life racing drivers because they know how to read data, telemetry, they can be more kind of like accurate with their, um, you know, their feedback. How, how does it differ and how, how are they similar? And which one do you prefer working with more? Yeah, uh, I mean, sticking with sim racing uh, issue and stuff, um, of course, when you try to put an engineering procedure within a team, a sim racing team, and you've got a professional racing driver that is actually working and driving in the real world, it's much easier to implement the procedure because they know how an engineer will ask you and what he wants and how to upload data or whatever, looking at what the question is better to ask to an engineer. So in that sense, I prefer to work with a pro driver because they understand better the relationship with the engineer, let's say, because they are used to it. Okay, so it's completely normal. But sometimes sim racing are much, much faster in the sim racing environment than a real driver, just because they've got more time, more experience, and whatever it, it takes, you know. 
but when you are coming to procedure, as I said, for them it's much, much different and difficult to implement the procedure in their normal style because they are used to be a fast sim racing, uh, do the setup by themselves, uh, testing stuff, it doesn't matter if they understand or not. As soon as I find a setup that I like the car, okay, I can drive this, I'm faster with this, I'll go with it, okay? So having an engineer that's asking you, why did you test that? Should you test this? Did you upload the data on Google Drive or Discord or whatever so I can check that actually it's the car, it's not you? Sometimes it's tricky because they forgot stuff. They don't understand why you are asking something. So if I have to choose, I prefer to work with a pro driver, of course, but just because of the procedure, because then uh, there are a lot of sim racing driver that are very good guys, very committed, and they try with everything they can to adapt to the procedure is just difficult for them because it is not their job at the end of the story. So I understand that and we have much fun sometimes. Uh, comparing stuff is always interesting, is always uh, good because you can do like, you can transfer the good uh, procedure and the way to work with an engineer of a pro driver to a sim racing one. And sometimes this works because you see the sim racing giving advice to the pro driver in terms of how you approach that corner with a virtual car that is not definitely the same sometimes to a real one. And both parts can get benefit in this way because a sim racing will, driver will, will use a procedure that actually works and is been testing to work forever in the real world. But at the same time, the pro driver that is in that, that moment is maybe slower than the sim racing driver can be actually as fast as the sim racing driver and be good in both worlds. So it's always good, fun, and very interesting to see the two parts working together. Absolutely, David. And like, like you mentioned as well, like I'm really happy and actually excited just to see how that relationship between the two worlds they continue to grow together because we're seeing it you know with the likes of james baldwin he's like you know he started off just as a driver on a set of corsa competizione and then you know got the opportunity through winning championships with them to actually race in the real life 24 hours of spa you know for our actual factory mclaren team as well and then also the gt3 guys like you know lello and, and also the other guys as part of the gt world challenge they also have to take part in esports races as part of this, like the Fanatec, uh, well, esports thing. But the points from that also go towards the actual championship, which makes me laugh because I'm like, if we did that in Formula One, then how would the likes of like a Fernando Alonso do yeah. compared to like, you know, a kid like Max, which, you know, that is like his pride and joy. And then even talking about Max too, you know, like um, when they did an interview with him and his father, Joss. Um, they said, like, why is Max so relaxed? And just was saying, well, you know, he his way of like relaxing is going in the simulator. And actually, what I see him doing with his friends is that they'll be talking about setups or things to try on the car. And then he'll be talking to his engineer, you know, um, uh, Jimperio Lambiasi, and like saying that, you know, maybe we can try this with the wing, maybe we could try this with the rake, maybe we can do this with the aero balance. So it's so intriguing actually to see how some stuff in the simulator it's kind of almost i guess like rearing its head in the real world but also like people from the real world are starting to respect sim racing more and to give those guys their credit as well and to actually see it as the future 
you know, from the direction as well. So I'm, I'm very excited. And just before we go on to, you know, the real world, as we discussed, like, were there any other comments or any other things too in relation to the esports side of things at the moment? Yeah, uh, no, not really. I mean, I think we cover quite a lot. And uh, I, I love to see more the implementation between real world and virtual world. And I think COVID lockdowns and stuff helped in this sense. Maybe it's the only positive thing they did. But, <laughs> you know, I, I would love to see more and more than this because working in this way is very good. I think is in both, both industry can, can really have an advantage in the long term. Absolutely, you know, and to kind of bring it on to the next one then, and also um, a very mysterious man, uh, Mr. F1 Black has made it here too, so thankfully I also have him to ask Davide some questions, you know, and to be part of this show, because, you know, it's like getting the band together, but before I ask Davide the next question, Black, how are you doing, man? I'm good, I'm good, I'm returning to the real world after a double tonsillitis, but enough about me. Oh, no. <laughs> Hopefully my, my silky smooth vocals are still apparent, but uh, fantastic. What an honor to be on with Davide. Great to, great to be here. Yeah, nice oh, to meet you. Then. <laughs> excellent. Well, Davide, you know, let's go to the, we, we were talking a lot about the real world then. So one thing that made me smile and I've been keeping an eye on as well on, on your Instagram and the work you've been doing is just, you know, obviously the European Le Mans as well, the World Endurance Championship Two, you guys have done really, really, really well, you know, and I'm so happy that, you know, for uh, TF Sport, they've won the GTE AM championship. So that's the, the amateur class, but still within GTE racing. Man, that, that's super cool. And, you know, I mean, now that we're at the end of the season, you know, you, told, you gave us a bit of an insight and like a teaser about, you know, winning that championship, which is a huge, huge like honor and something really commendable to look forward to and to celebrate. But then also, you know, some low points have happened, like you're about to win a race uh, with the team with the European Le Mans and then 10 minutes before the end of an endurance race, you get taken out or hit by another like, you know, opposing car you know like what's the season been like you know for you and, and kind of what are you looking forward to in terms of like you know the team and also the future of like gte because you know there's a lot of stuff happening in like endurance racing we've now got like this whole lmdh lmh um kind of like category as well for the hypercars and the prototypes from what I understand, the GTEs are also going to be kind of like rebranded or, or almost a lot of changes are going to come in that regard too. So, yeah, just like I'm going to hand you the floor, man. Like, you know, what were your highs and lows of the season? And, you know, what is the future of like that particular class too in relation to the GTEs? Yeah, I mean, times of the season for me, I feel a much better engineer now than 12 months ago, to be honest. So first I learned a lot because I had the possibility, of course, before this year to work uh, with GT car, but was mainly GT4, was mainly European, but more national level, let's say. So, of course, you know how to work as a race engineer, but the opportunity to be at that level for a full year, it's been just teaching me stuff, to be honest. So I, I feel much more experienced now and I can apply this experience to more teams or more championship, maybe even some championship the like I never did, like GT World Challenge, let's say. Uh, and, and that's that's good for me, good for my career, because first of all, I'm a 
passionate guy about motorsports. You know, if I can learn something more in motorsports, it doesn't matter what it is. I'm, I'm always happy about that. And winning the championship. Well, it's one of the two more competitive class in WEC at the moment, GTIM. Uh, so what I can say, it, it was expected, but you never realize until you do it. You know, uh, we did a very good season, a lot of high, a lot of low, because if you remember, we spoke about that. Uh, we won Le Mans. And that was unexpected. So if I have to compare the Le Mans stuff with the World Championship, I can say Le Mans represents much more for me because the, the WEC, it's good to win. It was a great honor, as you said, and I'm very happy about that. But at the end, it was a success built race by race. So when you go at the, at the last race with 20 points advantage on P2, you just need to focus and don't do stupid stuff and the championship will be done. Uh, so was more expecting than everything else. Nothing is easy, of course, because in eight-hour race in Bahrain, it could happen everything. If you retire the car, then you don't win at the same time. So True. it was good to win, but never, never, ever like winning Le Mans this year. And doing WEC and Le Mans in the same year, I think, is just a dream in that sense. Never expect to do that. If you speak with me, like in 2021, I would like say. Uh, if you said to me like you win Le Mans and Weck in the same year, I said that. Ah, come on, stop joking. It's not even <laughs> possible for me. So being in this position now, it's just feeling good, you know. And for what concerns the GTE class, uh, I, I'm sure you are aware about the GTE Pro finishing with this year. So next year it won't be GTE Pro and GTE AM. It will be just GTE class, and will be exactly the same car of this year. So for one year, we still have GTE, but then from 2024, they will be just not existing anymore because it's not just a rebranding. It will be a GT3 car going replace to GTE. And I think the main reason is it's simple. It's much, much cheaper than a GTE car, not just to run, but also to buy for teams. And if you see how many cars are in the grid of GT World Challenge, it's just a crazy number. So I think WEC, ELMS uh, want to go there, want to have a very good amount of GT3 car and will be always with a bronze driver and two pros or a bronze silver and a pro anyway in the car. So it's still uh, be in a good competitive class with a lot of constructor, a lot of uh, possibilities because on a bronze driver bring money to the teams. So teams uh, have a budget to do stuff that is different to what a GTE Pro with three pro drivers they've got, or two pro drivers, depending on the length of the, of the race, have got so far. Because for a pro car, you need a budget to do everything for employees, for the car, for the development, for running the car, and for the drivers. Like this, they've got the budget coming from the bronze driver, and then you can pay maybe a gold driver, or you can use a factory driver, uh, pay all the employees, but you've got an initial budget. So it's much cheaper to run all the program. And that's the reason why the GT3 are so widely spread into European level at the moment. I think WEC want to do the same stuff, but worldwide. And it would be good, I think, because it's just simpler, uh, cheaper, and you can run a lot of cars at the same time. You can have new constructors like Lamborghini or Mercedes that actually don't have a GTE car. So you will have multiple constructors, not just three. 
and a lot of team I think will be interesting to move from GT World Challenge to ELMS or, or WEC in 2024. So we will see a very long list of entries, I think, and that's good for motorsport overall. Uh, for what concerns the hypercar, I think it's a bit, a bit of a mess because, for my opinion, FIA should have done like a well decision about uh, those cars are hybrid or not. Because, of course, if they are hybrid, they will have an advantage in consumption, performance, and everything. And doing the BOP against a car that is not hybrid then will be tricky. And sometimes they are not the best to do BOPs, if I have to be honest. So they just find another way to make things complicated and that's not good for the sport i think it's good they attract constructor like ferrari that is coming back uh, lamborghini will come in 2024 um, cadillac will come so it's for sure a better top class but i think in the long term they need to decide if they want to have those car hybrid or not first of all and then you can do a regulation that actually helps all the constructor to build a top class that is much more similar like formula one in terms of sporting and show and money and everybody knows formula one i'm not sure everybody knows wec in the world even if it's the same organizer is fia and it's the same level it's just endurance racing so i i think there are some stuff they can change in the hypercar stuff but we will see. There is time. Next year will be the real first year for Hypercar because so far they've got six cars. It's not a real championship with six cars. You know what I mean. Uh, we'll see what's going on between 2023 and 2024 in that sense. I agree, Davide. And, you know, lots of good talking points there too. And I'll bring Blag into it as well for some of his, his views and also for him to throw some questions in there too. But yeah, just like, you know, I think... In a way, I'm almost sad to see the GTEs go. Obviously, it won't be next year. Thankfully, like you said, we've got those for one more year, although there's not going to be like a division between AM and Pro. It would be one class. But in a way, I feel kind of sad because I, I also race a lot of the GTE cars in, in my simulators. And this year, like uh, me and my teammate, we did like uh, 24 hours together in the Porsche 911 RSR. And those cars are so cool because they have so much power. They don't have ABS so there's yeah. definitely a lot more skill involved in driving a gte car some would say that you know there, there's something like a touring car on on drugs like the speed that they can do in the amount of downforce they have you know for a car that technically is based very loosely on a road car or, or kind of like a road sports car is crazy yeah. but then also as well i think you you mentioned a lot of benefits to come with them well when i say them um european le mans and world endurance championship you know um kind of revising their rules and trying to get you know like rather than having gte which is more expensive to run more niche you know them kind of introducing the gt3 cars because as you mentioned there too there's so many gt3 teams and constructors you've got mercedes you've got audi which released their like um i think r8 evo 2 you know and the likes of valentino rossi who was driving that this year too yeah uh, the team WRT but then also next year there's a completely new Ferrari you know the the 488 GT3 Evo that's going to be retired and there'll be a new 296 um, the BMW M4 has been you know making uh, like appearances in the GT world endurance but not in the sprint so to see that in more series as well 
Bowl will be fun. Porsche have a completely facelifted 911, I think 9.2 coming. Lamborghini also have an Evo coming. And also Ford, I, I think they're more towards IMSA, but they've also got a Mustang with like, you know, um, a, like, a, like I think a homologated engine that might be compatible for GT3 in the future as well. And the final point you mentioned there as well, Davide, about like, you know, essentially drivers like Raffaello Marcello, he's a Mercedes factory driver, but wouldn't get an opportunity in Formula One, probably given his age and just kind of where he is in his career he might actually get the opportunity to take part in something like Le Mans because for a long time now Mercedes haven't like raced in World Endurance Championship you know they they do Formula One and over the, the years they've been pulling out of lots of things like they pulled out of uh, Formula E this year they, they pulled out of the DTM they used to do like a lot of prototype racing with the Salva Mercedes C9 and obviously the CLK GTR. I know the older audience is going to be like, I remember those sleek looking cars, those prototypes. But uh, yeah, just, it would be amazing, you know, to have a GT3 class because as you mentioned, it will appeal to so many manufacturers, so many works teams and drivers like Lelo and other, just not, I'm not, I just don't want this also to become like a Lelo podcast too, but also <laughs> other, you know, factory GT3 drivers that, you know, work really hard and, and, you know, like compete in a lot of really cool and challenging series, like even the Nürburgring. 24 hours will also get the, the opportunity to take part in a very honorable race like Le Mans and you, you talked as well earlier about like how significant that is and how exciting that is and actually I'm going to bring Blag into this next part because you know we as like Formula 1 fans we, we kind of get onto the FIA you know in terms of like how they've struggled to get manufacturers into Formula 1 for a long time obviously Honda pulled out and then have kind of like tipped the toe back in with Red Bull but that's not really a full engine partnership as what it used to be then obviously Porsche was supposed to come in but then that hasn't quite worked the Audi kind of like um, deal was also quite slow and again you probably wouldn't give Stefano Domenicali much credit for that either because he was the CEO of Audi ironically when Ferrari sacked him which kind of goes back to me and Davide's earlier points about Ferrari do you, like what, what's your kind of take on the points that Davide made about even the FIA could do better in other series other than F1, you know, when it comes to hypercars and, and kind of like them still not really getting the BOP for hybrid cars and like naturally aspirated cars or turbocharged cars in a class, correct? It's, it's an absolutely fascinating question. And in fact, you, you, it, it, we're linking back up like Mbappe and Neymar, uh, albeit not at the World <laughs> I like Cup. the chemistry. <laughs> hopefully there's no own goals in the World Cup. But look, um, and yeah, and hopefully France don't advance any further than the quarterfinals uh, past England. But um, it's yeah, coming like, home. It's coming home. It's coming home. Right, exactly. So Again. Um, <laughs> again, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, not in Euros. We know how that ended with Italy. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I yeah. can't speak this time, so. <laughs> How dare you? Yeah, well, there we go. I, one of my <laughs> closest colleagues was an Italian at the Euros, and that uh, was a difficult difficult Monday, uh, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a really good question, and I was thinking about uh, asking you about this, David, as well. Like, from my perspective, when I, you know, I'm not an engineer, but I'm a sort of student of the game. Uh, you know, as a child, I was given a book which had 100 years of Grand Prix racing. So it wasn't Formula One, it was Grand Prix racing. And it went back all the way to the turn of the century. I won't reveal how old I am uh, to work out when 100 years ago was when I was a child. But um, 
like you could see that essentially there was a combination of sort of extremely rich people that wanted to have fun and then manufacturers that wanted to prove that their mark was the strongest. And in a strange way, 100x years later, I don't think a lot has changed. So in my opinion, when you look at things like Formula One or um, other sports, it, it's about obviously you, you clearly want to attract um, those wealthy investors, those privateers. But in today's day and age, um, they're fewer and far between, particularly when you look at Formula One as a, pre, a premier motorsport and the cost uh, of participating. Really, you want to have a platform. And this is my view. I'd be interested to hear what you think, uh, Davide. Uh, you know, the, the Formula One needs to provide a platform for manufacturers to show um, that their engineering and that their technology is superior and therefore formula needs to be relevant to, um, you know, in my view, what they put on the road. So, yeah, I mean, turning it to you, that's my view. Maybe not just limited to F1, but all the formula. Like, how how do how does a formula, how does a, a sport, a motorsport series uh, capture the manufacturers, in your view? Yeah, I mean... It's business, you know, so a manufacturer wants to sell cars. As you said, uh, uh, some times ago, Formula One was actually the research and development of solutions that actually we had now in automotive sector in our car parked in the garage, like, I don't know, the seamless um, uh, gearbox. That was Formula One stuff. Now we all have a double clutch uh, gearbox into in our cars so that that's the main stuff that attract, attract manufacturers and for this reason if you think about it we've got formula e i think formula one and formula e can't ex exist together for so much longer because with all the automotive stuff going electric of course a manufacturer want to have research in electric vehicles and formula e is offering that Formula One, uh, not at all at the moment, because okay, they are hybrid, they have uh, electric components in the engine, but it's not the same. So I think what we will see in the long term, uh, in terms of attracting manufacturer and actually have one single seater top class, it will be one Formula One that will be an hybrid between the actual Formula One we've got so far now and the Formula E that in the last few years is attracting a lot of manufacturing becoming bigger and bigger. They can't coexist for lot, for much longer, I think, and that's the same actually happened with uh, with WEC. If you think about it, uh, manufacturer comes uh, because they offer a solution in the technical regulation that can actually easier build than the older LMP1, and it can't be a testing bench for long and extreme race cars and let them build a supercar that actually derive from the hypercar and at the same time have a reliability on the long term and very powerful car that actually can't be so bad to sell you know what i mean and same for the gt3 story we just discussed they went gt3 because you attract manufacturer lamborghini as i said uh, mercedes they didn't have a gte car audi as well they didn't have a gte car so opening a gt3 class just make them interested because you can build on a car that actually you sell as a supercar, a GT3 car that is basically the same, just more extreme and more racing oriented. That's easier, cheaper, and actually gets an advantage for a manufacturer. That's what 
I, I think is what a manufacturer is interested in because they need to invest money to do Formula One and they need to invest money to do Formula E. So if you have to choose uh, in, 2020, in 2030, you will have just for, just electric cars, for example, uh, what do you want to invest now money on something that give you seven years time to prepare and do research for cars you will need to sell or for something hybrid like Formula One that more or less in seven years won't be there anymore. That's easy answer, I think. Well, e easy answer for some. I mean, uh, for some, know. yeah. <laughs> I mean, what a what a great answer. I, you know, I was thinking about you saying Formula E and Formula One cannot coexist for too much longer. We had a guest uh, earlier in this season, uh, Ed Foster, who is basically the compare or the lead presenter for Goodwood Festival of Speed, um, and. And he said, actually, of course, electric vehicles will play a part in the future, but they aren't the only sustainable vehicle that we'll see. Or at least there are questions about electric vehicles relating to the production and disposal of the um, power unit, the battery. Um, yes. So I don't know. Do you, like, do you have a view on that? Is it like I, this is my thing, right? I'm, a, I'm basically a child at heart. I still love Formula One, irrespective of how it's treated me or, how, or the fact that you, it might be boxing itself into a corner. But is there a future for Formula One or other motorsport series that don't embrace electric, but perhaps look at sustainable fuels? Could be. I mean, the electric cars uh, discussion is very difficult to do because I think the main issue for electric cars, and it's the reason why they are not widely spread, even if it's different years now, they are producing cars and selling electric cars, you still buy a, a gasoline car if you can. Why this? Because batteries, they are not reliable. They are not on long range like a normal car. So I, I think if no one finds a solution about having lithium outside the batteries, so creating battery based on something else that actually is more reliable, is more safe, is not uh, dangerous and actually can ensure longer distance on the same car like a normal car is doing. I don't think electric will be the only solution for the future. I, I think we will have it, but that could be much more research on biofuel or something that actually helps pollution more than electric cars. Because if you think about it, uh, the lithium batteries are like that since forever. I don't even remember when they actually were invented it and we still use the same technology, improved, but same technology. So I'm not sure we can replace the lithium in the battery very soon and that's the issue of electricity so the power unit uh, is difficult to dispose because you are not helping the pollution when you dispose a battery maybe you save the environment for uh, 10 years of uh, no co2 into the environment but then you're going to discharge and put away disposal uh, a battery and you are creating pollution anyway because it's radioactive so there are issues in that and could be a solution using other sources like biofuel uh, hydrogen with the old problems we've got because hydrogen you have problem to stock them is very dangerous more than petrol so you need to adapt everything and that's expensive at the same time the thing is it depends it depends what happened with the research it depends what happened with the scientific field what they discover uh, for, for racing will be just the natural consequence. I hope we will have engines 
real engines with all the noise and all the pollution stuff. Not because I'm against environment, but because that's racing. I can't see too much an electric car racing without any noise or any actual excitement about having fire up a car. That's difficult for me because I'm older. Probably I'm getting old. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's what I mean. For motorsport, I hope there will be a future for engine with petrol and stuff, but that will be based a lot on discoveries and biofuel and stuff like that to, to make it right. Well, um, let me take this moment to assure our listeners that we are not funded by the anti-electric vehicle lobby. Uh, <laughs> because if we were, then all of our uh, audio equipment would be insanely good. No, um, yeah. I think, <laughs> I think uh, th- they're all valid points. So before I hand back to Dens, a bit more of a fantasy question for you. Uh, let's say you're a manufacturer, and maybe it's difficult for you to answer this because I'm not going to tell you which, right? Just imagine you're a manufacturer. You can pick one motorsport series to invest in, uh, to enter into. Um, From your perspective, which one gives you the best return on investment from a kind of marketing and also an R&D perspective, looking at today's, or or at least the the evolution of motorsport series that you're currently aware of? Yeah, I mean, if I have to choose... Overall classes, I would put money in Formula E at the moment because it's going good. It's actually the technology we will have. And uh, at the same time, in terms of marketing, you are going well. People are interested in that. A lot of people start to follow more the Formula E the last few years. Gentry looks good. It looks more a single seater than before for me. So I think if I have to choose just one class, I will do Formula E as investment. Fantastic. And now we've redressed the balance of, uh, you know, electrical, electric vehicle support versus uh, opposition. So um, I, two things on Formula E, and then I'll hand back to my good friend, AMG Dens. Um, I was watching towards the end of last season, I think they showed the recap of all of the season finales from the beginning. And I'd forgotten that they used to sometimes stop halfway through a race and swap cars. Yes. So that shows well, you Gen One. Yeah, so that shows you the development, right? The now there's no problem, you know, and in fact they're having to create algorithms to limit the amount of charge so that it's competitive if they do safety car laps or something. So um, yeah, it's it's absolutely fascinating. Um, and the second point, which is more of a parochial one, for me, I think in the UK, if you look at uh, Formula E, part of the reason why it's like getting widespread attention is because it's on free to air television. So it's been on channel four, it's been on YouTube. Um, and so it can be accessed by, you know, narrowly wouldn't pay for motorsport. Um, and I think that's why if you look at the history of different sports where they peak or just before the peak, it's before they've been put behind the paywall. So a plea to the organizers of formula E, please keep your content sort of free to air. Um, and I suspect you'll get more, more buzz, more, engagement um, and yeah attract more um, potential manufacturers into the sport so I'll hand back to Dens now but uh, yeah what a fascinating set of questions uh, and answers and and back to you Dens. Hey thank you for that black man and again really interesting because you know we we kind of touched just in the world of like you know the well Le Mans and obviously world endurance kind of series and how like the change and the change for sustainability has affected them but then also like i think that we neglect formal e quite a lot and actually like david pointed out too if you're talking about 
one sport that's going to be the most relevant for the future, it has to be Formula E in that regard. And, you know, they've done really well. I, I can't even, you know, kind of like slander them too much, even with myself being a huge petrol head. So um, it's interesting to see, but also how it will be perceived by the petrol heads like us in the future is also something um, I'm intrigued to see how it will play out in the future. But bringing it back to Davide, because he's our star and obviously he's done so much this year. Davide, you know, you've got a nice winter to look forward to. You and the missus, you can do some exploring, you know, you've also got some amazing memories to reminisce on as well in terms of being like, you know, World Endurance Championship, you know, winner in that regard and also in terms of um, the highs of a, of a Le Mans uh, Championship too and also as well as that, just even the virtual world we've discussed kind of like you know how much that's growing and kind of everything that's going forward towards the, uh, the virtual months in january but you know one thing we haven't talked about and i i like talking about and following too is a cup of racing which is your company that you know you started and it's great because like even just with what you've did with that it shows just ambition it shows just like you basically not only just like giving your expertise, you know, for a team, this is like an employee, but also in your own kind of like way, like making your own kind of like business and, and being able to offer motorsport technical support as well, you know, in both the real world and the sim racing world. So my question to you, Davide, was like, you know, are there any projects or anything in relation to that side of the world that you're really looking forward to working on and, and kind of what are your plans for the winter break as well? Okay, I, I can't tell too much about that because a lot of stuff are to be confirmed, so I'm not allowed to, to speak about it. Oh, okay. But uh, I can say not really great, great projects. Uh, I'm still with Williams for the 2023, full 2023, so we'll probably do other endurance racing with them. It could be 24-hour Daytona, but again, we need to discuss that. Now the full focus is on Le Mans Virtual Series, so I'm sure about the 24-hour Le Mans in that sense in January. Uh, for real world, I can't say anything at the moment. Uh, I'm working on something good, big, uh, but we'll see. Maybe before the 20th of December, I can have an answer and say something more, but it will be on social media anyway. So just just follow social media and it will be everything there. But uh, yeah, a cup of racing is growing and I'm very happy about the success we've got so far, especially for 2022. It was our year, both sim racing and real world for obvious reasons. Uh, but you never stop, you know, if you get a points, you can do better. So I'm still working on improve myself, improve the company, and find good places to go racing, both virtual area world. And yeah, I'll be a bit mysterious, basically. So sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, that's okay the other day. And again, just like, you know, it, it, that to me is still positive because it means that the things on the horizon, things are going up and not down, which is what we like, you know, and also on top of that as well, that the, the kind of landscape and the world around, like, you know, what you do is, is evolving, which is always exciting. Kind of one other thing you mentioned as well that I didn't get your kind of take on was, you know, like, would you ever consider maybe GT World Challenge? And, and what would you see as the technical like challenges like engineer wise of like the strategy for you know the sprint races that they do in comparison to you know the world endurance and the Le Mans series for example 
I mean, I, I'd like to do it. I, I have to be honest. It's one of the championships I always like to do it and never had the chance. But in terms of regulation, I'm not even so much sure So because I need to read it, actually. But uh, I think it's another SRO uh, championship, so it won't be too much different from GT4 Europe or uh, British GT, for example. It's the same company that organizes everything. Uh, so I know there is the race logic and the minimum pit stop time. The thing is good with GT World Challenge, and I'd like to test it myself, it's the level of competitiveness. Because at the end of the story, you've got 40 cars in the grid, and everybody could win. So that that's why I'm interested in doing that. But we'll see. Maybe 2023 will be GT3 World Challenge. Who knows? I know, but who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Teasing us there, you know, I see how it is. I see how it is, man. <laughs> No, that's that's interesting. And again, like for a follower like me that's like trying to use this platform to diversify, you know, what's available because I think a lot of fans just think motor racing is F1. And yes, it's cool. And yes, you get with the big names and stuff like that. I, I've always been someone kind of in the shadows, you know. I've always like liked kind of like the GT racing and I've always liked the prototypes. And even this year, I've been pushing myself even a bit more out of my comfort zone to try and even understand NASCAR and how even just like in the southern parts of America, how that works. And, and even in terms of like, I think Black was mentioning it too, like even in the world of like rally racing, now you've got these cars which are like partly hybrid as well. And how does that affect a car that's like four wheel drive and stuff like this too? So it's such an exciting time. And I think with an individual like yourself, Davide, you know, you're an exemplary example you know, of someone who's like kept your head down, you worked extremely hard for the things they've earned in life. Also, like, you know, I can tell that you want to continue learning. You don't want to become stagnant or complacent. The aim is always to just continue leveling up and, and you know, to continue to add value to the teams and businesses that you work for. Thank you for this. I mean, that, that's the only way for me. Uh, you need to deserve stuff. Never be a very gift in my life. So I work. And if you get a point, you can say for sure that's your working and deserve what you did without any big help or stuff. That, that's that's always good to feel at the end of the season or at the end of the year, I think in every job, it's not just mine. So yeah, thank you for that. Oh, no worries at all, man. No worries at all. We're always going to be, you know, following you up and also keeping an eye on your progress too. And we look forward to those announcements that you make on social media as well, you know, in due course. And as always, Georgina will do a great job of promoting that when this episode comes out fairly soon. Black, I know you're still here as well. Are there any other questions that you had in mind before I, I do the wrap up? No, I just wanted to sort of add to the feel good vibe. I feel like on this show, we've, we, we meet people that do extraordinary things. They have some things that are in common, uh, other things very, very diverse, but that kind of work ethic, uh, focus, determination is always there. Um, so, you know, you, uh, whether you like it or not, Davide, we have officially adopted you as our race engineer <laughs> for, the, for the show, uh, and we'll be following your exploits. And we look forward, you said the 20th of December. So we'll be keeping our eyes peeled on your Twitter uh, and other social media on that day. Yeah, thank you for that. And very glad to be adopted, actually. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, it's always fun to do this. So happy to do it.
No, we're happy to have you as well, Davide. And honestly, like, it's a pleasure too. And like I said, even just like on a personal level too, when we're, you know, exchanging DMs and stuff like that as well, man, I'm I'm really fascinated because there's just so much going on and like, it's so cool. I'm like, wow, like this, this is awesome. This is like, you know, like, it's almost like I'm living my own dreams through your lens. So I'm, I'm really hoping that, you know, you continue to share this amazing content as well and that, you know, people give you the appreciation that you deserve and the opportunities that you're worth as well, man. So yeah, Davide, thank you so much for joining us again. We've got to get you back on hopefully in the new year, you know, hopefully as um, racing picks up and, you know, after perhaps the, the virtual months as well, we're going to be crossing our fingers for you and, you know, uh, praying to our lucky stars that, you know, you have a very successful uh virtual amon so you can make it two for two two imagine that man two lamons in one year basically that's 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 like some goat stuff man that's like legendary you know who, yeah, that who would, be, would be even bigger i think but let's see and then you can always say it's not the same year because january is 2023 so <laughs> let's say yeah, like still still <laughs> we, we we count it man we count it we count it <laughs> oh but yeah, yeah. Man, like thank you so well, much uh, Thank you for having me again. It's always a pleasure to speak with you and nice to meet you. Effie on Black was was good. It was good to speak to you too. My pleasure. Awesome. Oh, excellent stuff, guys. Well, listen, it's been AMG Dens and the dynamic, fantastic F1 Black as always. We'll have more content coming up in our Christmas build-out. There's so many things to look forward to. In fact, I'm going to get the calendar out just before we uh, close this one out. But lots of things for you guys to be looking forward to. You know, we've had an episode drop with Mary Yasmin, so make sure you check that out as well. Obviously, on top of that, it's two. We've got a, um, I think it's an F4 driver coming on soon as well. So that's going to be exciting, but I'm not going to name any names. I'm actually going to be in Davide's position on Friday because we're going to have another founder of the show interview me about my sim racing uh, experiences, but from a more kind of like consumer perspective and not so much on like the very aggressive and competitive side that uh, Davide deals. So I'm looking forward to that as well. And um, yeah, yeah, we I will follow that. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, I've learned a lot of things from you, Davide. So I'm just going to be, you know, um, basically, uh, what do you call it, crediting you for all the points I'm making now. Yeah. That's I, what I'm going to follow. <laughs> <laughs> so that's going to be super fun as well. Really looking forward to that. And then, Black Man, like, we've got a uh, Christmas kind of wrap up. Uh, of this season mm. and just kind of our favorite episodes and moments as well that you know have happened so that is going to be awesome and so much to look forward to as well so Vlad I'll leave you with a final note for our listeners and viewers out there yeah um, so the final note is as follows Georgie has done some research and seen our ranking uh, globally as a sports news podcast believe it or not we're in the sports news category and you know what Apple said we have good performance but you can improve that performance by going to your uh, podcast um, vehicle of choice and following us, giving us a like, and leaving us a review on whichever platform you choose. Uh, but tonight it's been Davide. Thank you for being with us. The unbelievable modern day Morgan Freeman, AMG Dens, and the recovering F1 Blag. That's been Stripping the Dipping. We'll see you next time. Good night.